Welcome to Faith Through the Fire with your host, Tracy Walters, Lauren Seeley, and I'm Stephen Drawball. Today we have Aaron Earhart with us. Very thankful for him being with us and being on the show. And kind of the goal of this is just to him tell us about his ministry journey, how he got into becoming a minister, early life, and then uh, how everything came about with uh, North Point and the whole development with that. But if you would, Aaron, if you don't mind, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about kind of early life and then kind of how you eventually became a Christian. All right. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate what you do on this podcast. My name is Aaron Earhart. I was actually raised as a Roman Catholic. Went to Catholic schools for eight years. My mom used to read in mass. But the whole time, my dad was searching. He allowed us to go to the Catholic school and participate in Catholic Church, but he never did. And I remember he would go to different denominations. He would watch televangelists, listen to a lot of radio ministry. And just before, I guess, my junior year of high school, he came home and he said, I found a church and you have to go. And he was never like that. He wasn't a real pushy guy, but he was pretty insistent that, that you're going to go. And I would fight him. I wasn't interested in that kind of stuff. And so I would fight him on it. And he said, no, I, I'm going to make you go. And I'm so glad he did because it wasn't long before I learned the truth and immediately wanted to preach the gospel. And so I credit my dad for introducing me to the truth. So in high school, did you have interest in religion at all? Were you like going to the Catholic Church or did you believe that? Or Well, from the time I was little... I had a little brother, and we had bunk beds. My dad would come in at night, and we would get off our bunk beds, kneel down, and say a prayer. So from early on, my dad instilled in me faith in God. I believed in the power of prayer. I wasn't real crazy about Catholicism. You know, I had religion class every day, but that was just kind of going through the motions. Uh, We probably went to Mass twice a month, maybe. If my mom had to read, we'd go. (laughs) But um, it was hit or miss. And I wasn't real interested. I, I believed in God. If you asked me, are you a Christian? I would have said yes. But I wasn't really interested in spiritual things. But when my dad found the truth, he started making me go with him to services, something just clicked. I'll tell you one thing that clicked was the preacher, he had grown up Roman Catholic. And so he and I could relate to one another. And he started showing me just blatant contradictions between the Roman Catholic Church and the New Testament. And it wasn't just one or two contradictions. There were a bunch of them. And they were so obvious that even as a teenager with very little Bible experience, I could see that's the very opposite of what we're doing. For instance, call no man father in a religious sense. Um, A bishop must be the husband of one wife. I mean, just on and on, these blatant contradictions were shown to me. And I got a little angry because I thought back to how difficult it was for my parents to pay tuition. I can literally remember my dad had become uh, disabled. We were just scraping by financially. And I can remember my dad going to the parish office and literally begging these people for one week's extension. You know, please don't kick my kids out. Give me one more week. And that was humbling for him. It was heartbreaking for me. And so when I found out that this was all wrong, that there are so many contradictions, I was angry on one hand. But I was also elated on the other hand because, wow, this is, this is great. You know, I'm learning something. And by the second semester of my senior year in high school, I was co-oping to the church building to work with the preacher. I mean, I, I had made up my mind, I want to preach. And I was in high school. I was going around and doing appointment preaching. I went away to college for a little bit, but even then I was preaching. 
and started my first full-time ministry at age 19. And so when it took, it took. Did your brother have any – was it just you and your brother? Yeah. um, My brother – and I actually have an adopted brother as well. The three of us obeyed the gospel the same night. Wow. Yeah, we were baptized on a Wednesday night. Um, It was great. My mom, she was really resistant at first. I remember sitting at the kitchen table, and she was crying her eyes out. She said, I raised you to be Catholic. You know, she felt betrayed. Um, she was from Raywick, Kentucky. And if you go to Raywick, Kentucky, it's not even a dot on the map in <laughs> most places. They have uh, a park, a beer joint, a little general store, and a Catholic church. And when I was a little boy, I remember the Catholic nuns would come to our holidays. The parish priest was always over at the house. And so my mom felt betrayed by this. You know, I raised you to be a Catholic. But thankfully, later on, after my dad passed away, I was able to baptize her. So awesome. Awesome. So so I'll kind of set this question up based off of my experience and stuff. Um, I I feel like in in our life, we have people that either either kind of change the, the trajectory of our life or they're just a huge influence. And I can remember after my grandfather passed away, Um, We had not been going to church for a little while, and my grandmother came in, and she said, you know, we're getting up Sunday morning, and and you guys are going to church. Um, And that just set off from that point forward. That's what we do. That's who we are. And, you know, and then you have, you know, my parents that then had a huge impact on me and then a campus minister. And so it's been this continual, like, another person and another person in my life. So was it the, was it your dad? Was it the minister where you were going? Was it a combination that kind of changed that for you? Yeah, I believe that's all providential, by the way. God puts people in our lives to lead us in the right direction. Whether we choose to follow is up to us. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's coincidence. I think that's providence. And for me, it's a combination. My dad, growing up, again, my dad would come in at night and pray with us. It was so embarrassing as a young boy, starting maybe your teenage years. I'd be in the back seat with a couple buddies, and before we pull out of the car, my dad throws his hand up. And I knew what that meant. Everybody grab my hand, we're going to pray. And it was so <laughs> embarrassing, right, at the time. And my friends were cool with it. Like, they didn't have a problem with it. They grabbed his hand. Okay. I'm the one like, oh, man. But what that was doing was laying a foundation. I didn't appreciate it at the time, but he was just laying a foundation. And even as a semi-practicing Catholic, you know, I had great faith in God. I did pray. And so when we finally found the truth and my dad introduced it to me, it just took off. And so I would say it was his influence and then the preacher being so relatable. He had grown up Catholic. I was big into football at the time. He had played high school football. We just clicked. And so that combination of my dad and the preacher – I think led me to where I am today. So you you get into ministry, you get your your first job is is where, where South End first, Church of Christ. End, Church nineteen of years old. Nineteen years old. And how many years were you there? Sixteen total. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's it's impressive, especially starting as a nineteen year old. <laughs> it was funny. Jill had grown up wow. at, at South End. Uh, her it was a small church, an elderly church. Uh, when I was introduced to it. Um, But it was so funny, when I took the job there, I was 19 years old, and I was actually in a two-preacher arrangement with an (laughs) 85-year-old. So we covered the gamut, like the youngest preacher and the oldest preacher in the whole brotherhood. Um, That that could be a reality show right there. Yeah, it was hilarious. He wore like a three-piece suit. Quick story, I took him to a football game. Papa John's Cardinal Stadium. It was the top 10 for 10. You know, you could sit up at the top right. for $10. Hot as could be that day. 
I'm in shorts and flip flops. He's in a three piece suit. Oh wow. And the guy behind us had been drinking. Oh no. He accidentally poured his whole beer down his back. Oh, oh no. And John Tyler was his name. All he did was laugh. He was he was happy go lucky. But it was a funny arrangement, you know, nineteen and eighty five. I, I guess you learned a lot from him. You probably got some wisdom there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did Jill attend that church when you went? She did. Interestingly, I obeyed the gospel before she did. Oh. She had grown up at South End her whole life. Wow. Yeah. Her grandmother was a Christian. Her mom was a Christian. But my dad introduced me to the Church of Christ, and I obeyed the gospel before she did. Oh, wow. wow. So a lot of people think, well, she probably converted you. Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. I didn't know that. So... Okay, so you spent that time there. Now we all know we got North Point and Taylorsville. So how did this come about? How did you start? And I know you guys and talk a little bit about that, but I know you guys started in in Taylorsville city limits and uh, on in town. So how did you come about that? Well, we started in Elk Creek actually. Elk Creek, and then we moved to Taylorsville. Okay. What happened? I'd been at South End for a total of sixteen years, and I felt like it was time for a new challenge. We'd had a great ministry there, but I thought, it's probably time to move. And so I was just going to move to another state and work with an established church. But one Sunday night, uh, Jill said, let's just drive out to Spencer County. Where we lived was in eastern Jefferson County, and it was really as close to Spencer County as it was to South End. And so one Sunday night, we're talking about our future, what we're going to do. And Jill said, why don't we just ride out to Spencer County? And the reason she said that is because Spencer County, we knew, was growing with a lot of residential development. There wasn't a Church of Christ that we knew of. And so she said, why don't we just see what's going on? <laughs> and I remember it felt like I was in a foreign country. I had never been out to Spencer County, and it just seemed so far away. But there was a little beauty salon that had a four-lease sign in the window. And so even though it was late on a Sunday night, we pulled in, we looked at it, thought, man, this would be great. Called the number. The guy answered. We said, we'd like to maybe start a church in this building. And he was glad to hear it. He said, yeah, that'd be fantastic. I said, the problem is, we don't have any money. <laughs> I, said, <Click>. so, <laughs> I said, so, I mean, is there any way you could kind of work with us on, on the rent? As we start to grow, we kind of stair-step the rent. And to his credit, he said, yeah, I'm willing to do that. Wow. And so I got in the pulpit at South End. This would have probably been August or September. And I said, um, November 1st, I'm starting a new work in Spencer County. I hadn't raised a single cent. I mean, this was totally a step of faith, wow. which was unusual. I'd always told myself, <laughs> I'll never start a church. I'd seen other people do it. They struggled, and I had never planned to do that. But this had just kind of opened up for us, and so I got in the pulpit. I said, we're going to start a work in Spencer County November the 1st, and God did the rest. It just it just took off. Yeah. So we went from Elk Creek. I guess we were there probably probably two or three years. By God's grace, we outgrew that. Then we moved to the storefront in Taylorsville. We outgrew that just in time for our new building to open June 5th of last year. Awesome. Now, just real quick, too, I just want to add, I don't want to get too much into the details, I guess, but, and you've talked to me about this before, and I just think it just shows you God's providence. And just hit on real quick what happened at the building before <laughs> this one where you guys had got kicked out for a little bit, but then you met uh, Doug, <laughs> yes. the builder. I mean, the story is pretty... It's all providential. I mean, if you can't see God in it, it's, it's amazing. So just speak on that a little bit. Yeah, listen, there are so many stories of providence, I could tell you. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I always say this is a God thing, and that's not a cliche. No. I mean, we could not have done this. 
I mean, to come this far, this fast, overcoming obstacles, it's incredible. Like, we didn't know a single soul in Spencer County. Not one person. And here we are starting this church, and it just took off. So how did you first get people to start coming? If you didn't know anybody, were there members from other churches, or how did you get the word out if you had no relation to anyone? Yeah, when when I came out to start the work, Harold Byers Jr. lived not far from me. He had been a member at South End, and he agreed to come help me. And so starting off, it was just going to be me and Harold and one other guy. As the time got closer, a couple more families started to join us. June Millar and his family, for instance, they had been at South End. They came to join us. I guess around 15 or 16 total counting kids was our first service. But we had advertised a lot and people of all different backgrounds, some Church of Christ, some from the world, some from denominationalism, people just started coming to check us out. And it's interesting, as we outgrew that first building, to get to your point, Tracy, as we outgrew that first building, we had found a a spot in Taylorsville, a storefront, and we had a great first service. That opening service in the second building was was fantastic. And I remember feeling so good about it. Well, Monday morning, I go to the building and there's an orange sticker on the front. It's a stop work order from the state of Kentucky. And I'm like, oh my word, how can this even be? You know, stop work order. We had just had a great service. Things were looking up. And so I called the number and they said, yeah, um, you didn't have a permit to put in those classrooms in the back. What happened is someone who worked for the county had been at Subway, which was next to our building, eating, and they saw one of our members pull up in a truck and take tools inside. They knew he was doing some kind of work, and so they reported us. Really? Come to find out, the building was bigger than however many square feet it needs to be, and it bumped up to state jurisdiction. (gasps) So the county was taken out of it. We're now dealing with the state of Kentucky. And in that first conversation, the guy told me, he said, look, we're way understaffed. It'll be at least six months before we can even deal with you. I said, six months? We can't, we can't do this for six months. You know, we, we're a growing church. This is going to stun our growth. Well, I did know the local superintendent, Chuck Adams. So I called Chuck and I said, man, can you help us out? He said, yes, you can use, you can use one of the gyms at an elementary school. Which was great, but it was terrible, too, because the bleachers were hard. We had to bring in our own microphone system. Uh, A lot of visitors dropped off during that time. But it ended up being 10 weeks. And this is where Doug White comes in. Again, Providence. Harold had a neighbor who heard about our situation, and he said, I know a contractor named Doug White. He can probably help you. And so Harold said, why don't you call this Doug White? I didn't. You know, I, I... I didn't know Doug White. It's a friend of a friend thing. And so I didn't call him. Well, one day Doug White called me and he said, I think I can help you. And I said, well, we'll take any help we can get. So he got on the phone with the state. Thankfully, he was able to bump them up. They got out there a lot quicker. Doug came in and did a lot of the work that was necessary for free. And he said, all I ask is that when you build your new building down the road, just keep me in mind. And so Doug came in, you know, like, when they did their inspection, they said, well, this exit sign's not bright enough, and this lock's not good enough, and they gave us a whole list of things we had to, to improve, and Doug came in and did it all, and from that, we became great friends. You know, uh, he, he talks a lot about moving his membership out here with us, but um, if it wasn't for Doug, I think it would have probably been six months, wow. ended up being 10 weeks. Wow. That, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. There, there's a ton of stories. I didn't realize like all that. that happened. You know, how, and, and we don't have to get into all of them, but just the land and the building and Doug, you know, something something like that that's 
that you think at the time is this huge setback and God turns it to something. Oh, well, let me tell you, you know, this story. Into, into something that's going to help. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in the, we're in the, we're still in the first building, I guess, when we, when we decided we got to find land. Harold Byers Jr. was really big on that. You know, he was always a visionary thinking ahead. And even though we'd only filled it about halfway up, Harold saw where this was going and he said, look, we got to, we got to be proactive. He would always say, go big or go home. He said, we need to be proactive and we need to start looking for land. Well, I got with a realtor in town and there was land just outside of the city limits of Taylorsville. And I think it was like 12 acres. It was only like 30 some odd thousand dollars. It was wooded and it was on a slope, but it was on the main road. And I just thought, this is it, man. We've really fallen into something great here. And so our members are getting excited. I'm excited. I had walked that land probably a dozen times. And just before we were going to close, we found out there was a deed restriction on the land. It was technically part of a, of a neighborhood, and you could only build single-family houses on those lots. I said, wait a minute, we're at church. I thought churches could build anywhere. Well, come to find out, it was a strong deed restriction, and the floor fell out from under us. It's like, we're not going to get the land. And I was distraught. You know, I was sad, and I, I would pout to Jill. And finally, Jill said, where's your faith? You know, you talk about faith. Where's your faith? And I said, faith, that's as good as it gets. You know, I've driven around this county. I know what's out there, and this is as good as it gets. And she just said, you know, you, you lack faith. Well, in no time at all, the land where our building is now came available. Wasn't even on the market. That was another one of those friend of a friend things. And we not only got this land, which is way better, prime real estate, it's flat. Not only did we get this land, but we got it at a very, very good price. So much so that when we went to build the building, the um, person who kind of estimates or evaluates, whatever they call that, she called me on the phone and she said, how'd you get that land so cheap? I said, what are you talking about? She said, I'm looking at, at, at this land and what you paid for it is way under value. And so I think that was a God thing. Just doors opening left and right. When one door closes, a better door opens. It's providence. One thing I appreciate about you when uh, when we first started attending was you started to open my eyes to the idea um, of risky faith. And you talk about that a lot. And you, uh, the elders in general, discuss risky faith and um, just how important it is to put your faith fully in God. And it has changed my life, my prayer life in particular, because I used to pray, hey, God, can you make this happen? And then I would leave it at that, you know, compared to if it be your will, you know, here, here's my thought process, but ultimately, you know, it's your will and whatever that would be. And I, and I've seen providence in my life of doors being open, doors being closed, and maybe a door that got closed, I got frustrated about, but then the door that actually opened was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that definitely worked a million times better. And I don't know, I, I think just this whole process that, I've learned from you is how important it is to step outside of your comfort zone and just take faith in what God is going to supply for you. Yeah, risky faith. I've learned that over time, and it's so true. As you look at the Bible, God has always rewarded risky faith. And from day one, starting this work or announcing that we were going to start the work with no support, that was crazy. I had a family, several kids, and uh, I'd always been fully supported, had a comfortable income. And we're like, no, we're going we're gonna to do this. When we started drawing up plans for this building that we're in now, we actually got with a Christian who was a contractor, and he, he started talking to us, and he said, you guys are crazy. 
Those are his words. He said, you're thinking way too big. He said, what, what you're trying to build is, is not reasonable. And there was this little bitty pole barn <laughs> not far from where we were meeting, he took me to the pole barn and he said, Aaron, this is more like it. <laughs> this is realistic. Oh, and I man. said, I'm not crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> I said, there's no way we're doing that. And he ended up walking away from the project, Oh wow! which opened the door to Doug White. Doug comes in and Doug saw the vision. And we told Doug, we don't have a lot of money, man. We're stepping out in faith. And Doug was willing to walk with us. Like, we'll do what we can. And what's really neat is we're drawing up these big plans for a building and we're not even close to being able to fill the building at the time. But Doug's like, well, let's, let's, build, let's build the structure. And if we have to fill it in later, you know, as members come and money increases, we can do that. But what's so fascinating is that when we first met, for instance, we said we eventually want to put in uh, an upper row of classrooms. But at first, we were just going to not even put in stairs and just leave that flat on top. Well, as we started to build, it's like, wait a minute, we're growing. We have the resources. Let's go ahead and at least put a platform on top so you can walk up there. And then a little bit later, hey, you know those classrooms we thought were way down the road? We actually think we can go ahead and build those now. And so it's like all this stuff that we dreamed about in the future actually came about in real time. It's like God just kept supplying. And then right in the middle of, of getting this loan and, and planning to start this building, Harold gets diagnosed with stage four cancer. It looks bleak. And I remember being on the phone with him. He called me up and he said, you know, this doesn't look good. And I said, Harold, we need to pull way back on this. I said, we're, we're way over. And, you know, we don't know what the future holds. You're not feeling well. Uh, I said, we need to pull back. And he said, no, this is the time to push forward. Harold was over half of our weekly contribution. I mean, we were totally dependent on him financially. And here we are about to build this huge building. We're taking out this huge loan. And they're telling him he has six months. And so I'm like, Harold, we got to pull back. He's like, no, we need to push ahead. This is the time to step out even more. So we did it. And the crazy thing is the night he died, that was the last contribution we ever got from Harold financially. We have not gotten a dime since. And six months earlier, if he had died, we'd have gone bankrupt. I mean, how could we have supported ourselves? But in six months, from the time he was diagnosed to the time he died, we had grown enough during that period to where his income was sustainable by other members. Wow. And so it's like God always provided right there when you needed him, Amen. right when it gets clutch time. Amen. It's like a door opens. Right. I and mean, it's crazy how many obstacles awesome. kind of got in the way, but it still yeah, all worked I, out with all the obstacles. So it's, one thing I want to hit on too is for you as a minister, personally speaking, you know, and I guess uh, for other ministers or folks who are thinking about being ministers, what are some of the struggles that you've had that you've had to had to overcome and, and kind of how did you get through that? Well, I'll tell you a big struggle we had right off the bat. I told you Harold Byers came out to help me start the work. And there was one other man, and he was a dear friend of mine. He had been a faithful Christian. And so I kind of, I kind of describe us as the three pillars to start this work. Well, it wasn't two or three months into the ministry that this third man committed adultery and left his wife, fell away from the church. And so it's like, we're, we're just getting started. There's not a lot of us, right? And we just lose one of our biggest helpers. And um, that was devastating, not only for him and his wife, but for his extended relatives who were worshiping with us yeah. and for the church as a whole. I mean, like when he fell off, he fell off hard and fast. And we're left just kind of like wondering, what do we do now? 
and I'll tell you, there was a time um, things were starting to, to move forward. We were starting to grow. We were still in that first building. There was a church up near Cleveland, Ohio that called me and asked me if I'd be interested in coming to work with them. And so I actually talked with them and I was ready to go. I thought, boy, this is, I've bitten off more than I can chew here. <laughs> Here's a larger church. They've got a beautiful building. It's a great area to live in. And I told Harold, I said, Harold, I said, I think um, I might take this job. And I remember Harold took me out on the side porch at that first building one Sunday morning. And he said, you're not leaving. He said, you can't leave. <laughs> and I said, you know, I really appreciate all that you've done. I said, but, you know, I, I don't know if I can do this, you know. And he said, oh, yeah, you can. And he would tell me. He meant it, too. That's what's so incredible. He would tell me, you stick with us, and this church will have a 1,000 members. Wow. Now, we're meeting in a beauty salon, right? There's yeah. like maybe 30 of us at the time. <laughs> and he's telling us, Aaron, if you stick with us, this church will have a 1,000 members. Wow. Well, when Harold was on his deathbed, like literally, he was days away from passing. I had talked to another church, a church in Dallas, Texas. They had 1,000 members. Before COVID, they had 1,300 members, and they wanted me to come work with them. And um, it, it, it was unbelievable because they said, you're going to have 28 people on staff under you. They said our weekly budget was like $48,000. Way more, way more people, way more resources than I've ever had, right? And they said, we'd like for you to come be our minister. And I turned him down. And I went to Harold, and he's on his deathbed. And I said, Harold, I said, I, I just want you to know that this church in Dallas called and asked me to come work with them. I said, they have a 1,000 members. I have this whole huge staff under me. I said, but I turned him down. And Harold's lying in his bed, and he looks over at me. And he wasn't joking. He wasn't smirking. With all seriousness, he looked over at me and said, in a little while, North Point will have a thousand members. I mean, he just believed it. Like, yeah. like to him, there was no question it's going to happen. That's awesome. And I'm starting to believe it myself now. <laughs> <laughs> Took a little bit, but yeah. And, and just to hit on North Point today is just for the folks who don't know yet. <laughs> most of our listeners probably know, but we have had since this building's been open, we've had we're on our 28th baptism, right? Mm -hmm. I, I joke. Like today, he's talking about a, another family placing membership next week. And I, I joke that, you know, it, it's crazy because you expect something every Sunday now. <laughs> and it's just, that's, true. that's, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. And I've been a member of the church a very long time and went to different places and visited different places in different states, just, you know, and know a lot of the history there. Never seen anything like it before you know you back for the for the year you're excited if a couple people got baptized and a, and a family joined i mean and, and you should be yeah. I, i'm not knocking that yeah. I, i'm just saying you know that's a soul and if that's all you got in that town you're doing what you can do but north point has just been and it's and it's growing and growing we've got plans for a, a new addition to the building we're starting a new campaign uh, for that to raise five hundred thousand dollars again, stepping out yeah. on risky faith. So maybe kind of speak on a little bit about why do you think it's? It, I know it's a God thing, right? It, it's God. We we want to give all credit to God, but but what are some things that are happening here? You know, there's other places. I think our location is a great location. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. That's a that's one of the good things. But God had a huge part in that. But what are, what are some things that is happening at North Point that may 
you know, there's other places that have good location and they're not experiencing that kind of growth. And one thing I, I talked about on the last episode, you know, because I know you're not going to compliment yourself, so I'm going to do it. You said, I'm going to speak the truth, you know, and I'm going to seek the truth regardless of the consequences. And there are consequences. <laughs> and there's consequences. <laughs> yeah. I had all my support cut. Every bit of it. Right. That's for standing the, for the truth. Right. Right. Uh, and you can hit on that too. Uh, <laughs> but I, I just think, you know, maybe what are some of the, what are, what are some of the things that are happening that you think? Yeah, I'll tell you. Are, are a big reason. First of all, let me say this. Uh, of those 28 baptisms we've had in the last year, a lot of those are what I call organic baptisms, which means the person baptized didn't have any previous affiliation with the Church of Christ. Like, it's great when someone's child is baptized, right? but they've been here their whole lives. right? Most of these baptisms, whether young or old, have been people with no previous affiliation. That's another amazing thing. It's amazing. And, and the way our young people have taken the gospel to the high school here in town, like North Point has become the new Nike. Like kids who, who don't even come to North Point want to wear North Point gear. Right. Hey, can I get a hoodie? Can I get a t-shirt? Can I get a hat? <laughs> and it... Like Luke and these other boys, they've made Christianity cool. Yeah. yeah. And it's like the thing to be. Yeah. Like people want to wear North Point gear. They want to claim North Point. And so that's tremendous. Now, in answer to your question, and I've never shared this with anybody, Harold and I were talking, and Harold made the comment. He said, I think what we're witnessing, and this was before North Point even became North Point. We were still meeting in these other buildings. He said, I think we're witnessing a modern-day restoration movement. And I hadn't thought about it like that, but the more I reflect on that, I think he's exactly right, to God's glory. Because churches of Christ numerically are in decline. That's sad but true. Uh, Many are only a shell of what they used to be. I can't tell you how many gospel meetings I've gone to, and here are these big auditoriums, mostly empty, and they always say the same thing. Back in the day, this place was full. I've heard that so many times. Back in the day, we're living in the past. We've also gotten into a a climate, at least in this area, where there's been a blurring of the line between truth and tradition. So many people within churches of Christ are wedded to tradition. And that's not always a bad thing, but in this case it is, because their tradition is more than God requires. It, It adds laws where God never said And so Christianity becomes harder, more burdensome. And so even if you have people in the pew, they're unhappy. (laughs) We refer to a lot of them as battered sheep. You know, they're constantly being beat down. They're there out of compulsion. Um, A lot of people, they lose their kids to the world. And and when Harold said that, I think we might be witnessing a modern-day restoration movement. I had never thought about it in those terms. But something's got to give. I mean, if, if something doesn't happen, the Church of Christ is going to wither away, at least in this area. That's right. And I think God has used us to maybe open some eyes that, hey, Christianity can be fun. You know, the gospel is good news. You know, right. it, it's not something that should be burdensome. It should be something we're, we're joyful to do. Um, stripping away all those unnecessary, burdensome traditions. You know, we don't need all that. And I think people find North Point as kind of a refuge you know, wow, I didn't even know a place like this could exist. To still be scriptural, but not to have all the scruples. And um, that's why we have people, I think like eight different counties are represented here. Some people drive almost an hour to get here. It's crazy. And we're not doing anything 
strange. We're just <laughs> we're just being Christians, right? So, so I, I think yeah. we really are maybe witnessing, at least to some degree, a modern day restoration movement. I, I and agree. the youth thing is crazy because I mean, growing up in the church, I was always like the only kid, yeah, my age. Yeah, and like, I remember going to. Fairmount, and there was Colton and Dalton, and I was like, there's two people my age, yes! And I was so excited, because I was always by myself, so it's amazing. And I don't even think I've seen 28 baptisms my whole life. Like, I've seen 28 in a year, but I don't even think I've seen 28 my whole life. Yeah. yeah. And it, I mean, it's sad to think about it like that, but the, but that's true. That You know, you, you mentioned kind of the, I guess, that other mindset of what people come from, of of the compulsion and i think another thing was and we talked a little bit with larry and linda about you get this fear oh it's almost like we're going to motivate everybody motivate people by fear mm-hmm. of, of going to hell and and not that fear fear can be a good thing right to get you going in the right direction but that only lasts so long you know and here you can see the motivation of love Love is, and that's what the Bible gets at. The ultimate goal is is to love God and love people, right? And that kind of agape love. And when we're motivated by love, it sustains. It keeps going. You know, the young person can can hang in there because these people love me. They're they're not just beating me down over and over again, and and the and the fear wears off over time, right? Yeah, fear is a control mechanism. Yeah, and a lot of preachers and elders sadly use fear to control the flock. Right. You know, um, like for instance, we, we try to we try to emphasize that coming to worship on Sunday should be something you look forward to. Amen. You're coming because you want to, and our people do. Even our young kids Amen. say Sunday's my favorite day of the week. We get to go to church, and and yet in so many churches, it's do not forsake the assembly. You know, and and they they try to to control people through fear, and as a result, you have a lot of people walking around on eggshells. They're they're out of compulsion. It's just really not a good good recipe for spiritual success really toxic and not very healthy right, right and let me say this because we didn't get into it we say preach the truth without fear of consequences there right. are a lot of consequences yeah and um it hasn't it's been a great journey but it hasn't been a smooth journey there's been plenty of opposition i had every bit of my support cut and it wasn't like um, in three months, we're going to cut your support. It's your your last check was your last check. Like wow. you're done. And here I had five kids. You know, I've got a wife. Wow. Uh, it's difficult. Yeah. And what was so frustrating is they were cutting my support because of traditional issues. Yeah. Not matters of truth. Right. It was you're breaking with our traditions. And I can remember more than once, at least two different elderships had a guy call me, one of their elders, to tell me that we're going to um, cut your support. And both times I said, well, let me at least explain where I'm coming from. You know, I believe I've got the truth on this. Can we talk about it? And both times it's like they didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to go there. Right. I remember one guy said, I'm, I'm just the spokesman on behalf of the elders. And I'm like, no, 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 no. If you're going to cut my support, then at least hear me out. Let me explain where I'm coming from. But they're so wedded to their traditions that they see North Point as a threat. Yeah. You know, you're close enough to maybe influence our people. And so they see us as a threat. And that's unfortunate. I, I got a, a, a text message just a couple weeks ago from a lady in Hardin County. I've never met her, but she watches our, our online worship service every week. A lot of people do. It's amazing how that online ministry has taken off. But um, 
she's going through and she's talking about how much she loves North Point and how you know it's opened her eyes to a lot of things. And then she made this comment that she probably didn't think a lot about. <laughs> it stuck with me. She said, I'm so thankful that you've got such thick skin because everybody hates you. It's <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> okay. Thanks. You know, and, and in her circle, I can see that. You know, they, they do talk about us. They think we're liberal or whatever. Right. And it's sad because we're teaching the truth. That's right. We're just not wedded to tradition. Uh, amen. That, that's something that when you talk to me about, and I've said that before, about coming over here and doing the family ministry thing and, and helping out that – um, that's something that stuck with me when you said, "Hey, I I looked at this, and you know, you had different beliefs before, and knew and figured out, did some research, and said, you know, I was wrong in this. So I think if if we have that kind of humility to know that I can grow, and I I don't know it all, you know, and you get that kind of attitude a lot of other places is this is it? I know everything there is to know about scripture. I'm <laughs> I'm perfect in what I do." there's a red flag, right? But if you have the mindset of, hey, I'm still growing too, and I'm learning, and and if I find the truth, and it's something that I didn't believe before, but it's the truth, let the consequences come. That's, mm-hmm. that's so, and I think God's rewarded that I think kind so. of humility. And, and I'm not the and, only one. This congregation is filled with objective thinkers. Mm-hmm. They love God above everything else. And so when we've challenged them, you know, hey, this is what we believe the truth to be, and here's why. I've been amazed at how receptive people are. And they don't just take your word for it. Like, they go back and they do their homework. Like, right. they research it for right. themselves. And at first, they may be kind of taken aback by something, but once they search it out, they accept it. Yeah. And, and not just me, but a lot of our members, they've had family or friends kind of disown them, or at least badmouth them. Yeah, you know, what are you same. guys doing over there? And they just stick to their guns. And I think that's why God's blessing us. Amen. Because we are putting him first. Amen. I think the the big thing that I'm taking from all of this, one, risky faith, how important <laughs> risky faith is, and God's providence and things. Um, I'll, I'm also taking uh, from it the impact that people have on other people's lives. Mm. You know, we're, to, we're talking about 28 baptisms this year, but what if your dad would have never searched for the truth? Mm. Would you be the Aaron that you are today? Uh, yeah, I, probably I not. Don't, I don't wow. know. What about the minister that point. pushed you and ended up becoming, you know, a minister yourself, which eventually led to what it is? What about, you know, um, Harold that never gave up and said, "No, we're going to keep doing this." Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. this is this is God. And then <clears throat> and then, you know, Tracy comes on and we have this development with our youth and how much impact he's had on in the youth. And, and just all of this. And you can also take the other side and the impact of, like, I can also be the person that beats people down or that causes people to question their faith or question if they want to be a Christian and how impactful that is. Um, and I think that's the one thing that I take from North Point is that we can be so impactful on people and helping them come and helping them be a Christian. Um, I think that's a, that's a huge point for us. Yeah, there's a lot of people that God puts in your life along the way. And it shapes you and points you in a direction. Amen. But left to my own devices, there's no way I'd be here. Amen. I don't know what I'd be doing, but it wouldn't be this. <laughs> right, right. And so my dad's influence, the preacher's influence, people like Harold along the way. I mean, it's just incredible. It's a God thing. That's yeah. that's all I can yeah. say. You know, I, I want to add, too, we, we talk about the number of baptisms and, and the number of people that have placed membership, and that is huge. But 
going beyond the numbers, just just doing this podcast alone, I have been just blown away, amazed at you know we we've talked to someone who's attempted suicide and survived. Mm-hmm. We've talked to addictions. Um, we've we've talked to people who's been through some pretty rough things. And in in every instance of, of the person, if they attend here, that we've talked to, talk about North Point, the love that has been shown to, to help them get through. So not just bringing people to Jesus, but keeping people's faith going. You know, that's what the show Faith Through the Fire is all about. And North Point has been huge just in, you know, Caleb uh, Cunningham that I, that I talked about, that first episode we did. Talked about where he was before, and the attitude there was, uh, we'll pray for you, or you need to pray more. And then to hear, there was specific names that came out. This person, so-and-so, took me to Nashville, Mm -hmm. drove me to Nashville and spent the day with me. This person, you know, spent time with me, and so on and so forth. And the impact that people has made in other people's life is Huge. So you don't know what. Just speaking on on Caleb for a minute, he went with me to Hon, Honduras. Mm-hmm. I've had guys call me afterwards and just go on and on about what a what an awesome difference they made for them that week in Honduras that he was there um, and getting to know him and his story. And you just don't know the ripple effects that happen with one person that we just show some love to. And, you know, it's it's been... And all the members here are very... I remember when Dalton and I first visited North Point or Taylorsville Church of Christ, but I remember getting in the car and we're all smiles and Dalton's like, I've never seen anything like this before, which is sad that you haven't, but it's like awesome that we're experiencing it and it's just everybody's just so loving and caring, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, to God be the glory. It's, it's amazing. It's great Amen. to be part of it. <laughs> Amen, yep. Yep. And let me say one more thing because I know we got to wrap up. Yeah. But bringing you and Caleb Ashby on board, those were two of the best decisions we ever yeah. made in our life. I and both were, were leaps of faith because we couldn't pay either one of you <laughs> much of anything. <laughs> but seeing the potential, you know, if we can partner up what this could be and, and God's just blessing it. Amen. So. Hey, well, thank you. And, and it's been a blessing for us for sure. For sure. Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask a specific question about ministry. You were talking about how um, the church in a lot of places is kind of dying out, and there's not a whole lot of encouragement for young men to go into ministry. What type of advice could you give any young people out there that might be thinking about going into ministry because you've you've kind of been through it all. I mean, you've <laughs> yeah. been through quite a bit. What, what would you say or words of encouragement or anything like that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I have been on both ends of the spectrum because when I was converted, um, I was the just say no guy. Like everything was a sin, right? <laughs> I was, I talk about others wedded to tradition. I was wedded to tradition. Had a preacher once, and he meant this as a compliment say, Aaron, you could bite through a chainsaw. Um, and so I, I understand. I don't think I would have liked you back then. I'm yeah, he wouldn't have. <laughs> Looking back, I don't like that area. Uh, God used me, but I realized that it, it's um, what it was is older men telling me this is how you're to be. Now, you can get advice from older people. You know, there's wisdom in older people. But I got involved with a group of older men who were very militant. Um, they would say things like, you preach them in and you preach them out. Shell the corn. You know, that kind of all the time. And so I thought 
that militant preaching kind of proved your faithfulness. And um, as a result, you know, I was contributing to the battered sheep syndrome, you know, beating people down, you know, always pointing out the negatives, never building up and encouraging. And I'll tell you, a lot of preachers in the Church of Christ fall into that category. Um, They just get up in the pulpit every week and they just beat the sheep down and the sheep go out hurt, discouraged. You know, they're there out of compulsion, as we say. And now, when I was introduced to Grace, and that was another crazy story, a church in Indianapolis asked me if I'd come work with them. And I didn't know anything about the church except they were a large church with a beautiful building. And so I was interested. And in the course of our conversation, one of the elders asked me, when's the last time you preached on Grace? And I couldn't remember. I went back and looked at my log, and I'd never preached on Grace. I'd preached a lot on falling from Grace, but I'd never preached on grace. And I think that was a huge awakening because I realized, wow, I'm missing like the biggest point. The gospel is called the word of his grace. You know, I mean, how can you miss that? And so when I realized that I had missed grace, it just opened me up to a whole new world of um, what the gospel is really about. You know, how Jesus related to people, how he was able to connect with people. And we preach, we preach the truth here. Yeah. I mean, today, you know, we, we talked about some things that kind of get on people a little bit. Sure. But you can do it in love. Yeah, you know, right. you can do it with a smile on your face in a that's way that's right. receptive. Right. And so I would say, long response to your question, I would say be independent, number one. Don't just, don't just let people mold you into what they want you to be. Be independent. Be objective. And don't be afraid to read sources that might disagree with you. Too often, I think young preachers uh, just kind of inundate themselves with people who already agree with them, with books and articles that already agree with them. We say truth doesn't fear investigation. It welcomes it. Don't be afraid to be challenged. I think that's what I'd say to a young preacher. Get outside your comfort zone. Read sources that may challenge what you believe and follow the truth wherever it leads. Regardless of the consequences, follow the truth wherever it leads. Number two, I would say study grace. I feel like a lot of Christians are scared of grace, and that's terrible. Yeah. Study grace. It'll open your eyes to a whole new world and um, give the glory to God. He'll reward that. Amen. All right. We, w- we will wrap it up, and I know we're going to – we're going to talk with Aaron again on some issues coming up, so we'll try to save him some time here. But, Aaron, we appreciate you so much. Thank you for everything you've done. You know, we wouldn't be sitting around here doing this. Like I said before, this podcast is a huge blessing. This church is a huge blessing. And if you hadn't have made the decision to step out on faith, you know, you, you know, like you said, you had the family and everything, and you went ahead and did it. And uh, I, I just appreciate you for doing that. It's it's caused a, you threw that pebble in the pond, and the ripples are still rolling and becoming a tidal wave now. So appreciate you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. All right. Love y'all. If you're out there and you're going through a fire, our prayer for you is that you have the attitude of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said our God can deliver us from this fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we will still serve him and him only. Thank you for listening to Faith Through the Fire.